Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Jared Jones. He is the head chaplain at the Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy in Melbourne, Florida. I give you Jared Jones. Jared, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Thanks for helping me out because I've been having a hard time getting it out early enough because of the move and some other things. And you are kind of guy that could help me out late at night with a Call of Duty headset. Yeah, well, normally I'm screaming obscenities to 13-year-olds in this, so it's good to put it to good use. Is that a pause for laughter? Or And you're also a chaplain, so you're screaming at teenagers in Call of Duty and also pastorally screaming at teenagers at a... Uh, at Episcopal school. Yeah, I do a lot of screaming in general. Uh, so it, who doesn't? Uh, this is a good, this will be a good break from the norm. So, speaking of screaming, let's talk about Moses. So, <laughs> in Exodus 24, Moses screamed a lot, cried a lot, uh, struggled a lot. And here we have this place where he, the Lord summons Moses up. He said, I'm going to give you the law, tablets of stone, the laws, and the commandments. And he's up there for six days, right? Like, and on the seventh day, he's the cloud. Um, dissipates and so it's it, this is new creation language right yeah yeah so uh the if the if i recall correctly according to the westminster shorter catechism god's work of creation in the span of six days uh and then on the seventh day god rested in his they were uh, the best six days <laughs> glorious six days right um and a lot of people have talked about how the seventh day god resting the idea is that his his glory um, kind of dw- in, dwells within creation, right? It comes down into this, um, you know, creation is kind of God making a temple for himself uh, or what will be seen later as a temple or a type of house. And on the seventh day, he enters that temple to to rest there. Um, so I think there's definitely an, uh, a symbolism here. And, and after God rests on the seventh day in create the creation account, he does give his law, his commandments. Yeah, and, and I think he also comes down the glory cloud and also then he goes in to you know he, there's also 40 days and 40 nights so we have this kind of um we have the whole story of israel and jesus encapsulated in this text so it's creation and then you know he also does this whole kind of um 40 days 40 nights thing so there's these are the rhythms it's 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 six days seven day 40 days 40 nights right Right, almost like it's on purpose. Do you think it is on purpose? <laughs> I, I do. I do kind of think it is on purpose. Um, but I do think what's interesting is is one God God summons Moses to meet with him. It's not like Moses just sees this mountain and decides, um, you know, well, I'm going to go up there and see if I can find God. Um, that that God obviously calls Moses to come um, and to behold His glory. Um, and there Moses, he gives Moses his law, um, particularly his law concerning how, you know, the next six chapters spell out a lot of how God is to be worshipped, um, which in some ways I think is is the first table of the commandments, right? You know, the um, um, the idea, the, the, 
the thing that's attacking the human need to um, to be our own God. God is saying, you're going to worship me like this. You don't get to decide how you worship me. I will tell you how you worship me. Um, which is then paralleled with the disastrous uh, end of of Moses going up to the to the um, the mountain with him coming down and finding that um, Israel has um, already within the span of that time apostatized and uh, begun to break all of the uh, first table of the commandment. And also, right, on some level too, like everything we know about human relationships is like that on some level, if we don't have this primary connection between parent and child, which is based on a kind of unconditional solidarity with the child, which invites the kind of child's obedience and trust, right? Like, because the child just has to trust. It doesn't make sense because I'm the daddy. That's why, or the mother, that's why. And this kind of thing, it's, but it strikes at the heart of like, whether you're two or 102, it threatens the human condition, right? Because it, it's what we want, and yet what we rebel against. Kierkegaard said, we're the God who shits. Like, you know, you can scream and your parent will come to you, right? Right. And yet you can't hold your own bowels. And you, it's frustrating psychologically. And the medication right. for that is trust. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, these, um, it, it's like seven days, 40 days. The whole thing seems like, almost like, these have patterns in the New Testament. Yeah, I would agree with that. Strongly, you strongly like full <laughs> You strongly agree. If I was you filling mean? out a personality test, I would definitely put this as strongly agree. My so how would you? My how would you preach this? Like if you if you were like the Enneagram, which is pagan Christianity, right? <laughs> right. Hashtag Bill Bohr. Uh <laughs> So what would you say if you were saying to somebody, how would you preach this? What would you say? Your sixty second advice for if. If somebody was preaching this, what would you say to do? Um, well, I think you can't preach this without getting to the gospel passage of this week, um, because they're set up as perfect um, um, kind of parallels. Um, but I mean, I think there's so much rich symbolism of God calling the mediator of the people of God to meet with Him. Um, you know, and there's this a kind of refrain in in, um, in the Old Testament of of the the mountain of God. Um, and the, uh, that, that later gets relocated to, to Zion and, and Jerusalem, but this idea of who can ascend, you know, the hill. Um, and so all of Israel standing there watching as their mediator goes up, um, and deals with this God who's liberated them, but also, um, they don't, they don't really know much about him. You know, he really, I mean, um, they haven't had a lot of encounter with him other than he's done some pretty disastrous things, Egypt and there, um, and he's fed them food and he's kept them alive, but, um, they don't know much of his character or how to, I mean, they, they probably are assuming he might be a God like any God. And so we worship him, you know, the way that this God would always have us worship him. Um, so they're just seeing their mediator go up and do business with this God. Um, and uh, they do what anyone does, which is when we are stuck waiting to find out, we try to um, we try to to put ourselves in the place of God and go, well, you know, God would probably have us worship Him with all of our stuff. So let's put our stuff in the form of a calf and and uh, let's worship that, you know. Um, and the whole time God is up there, He's telling them, "Here's how I want you to worship Me." You know, I don't. I don't want your stuff. You know, I, I, you know, I want, um, your faith. I want your trust. Uh, and that trust will be, expressed I want you in, he's saying, I want, he's saying, I want you. 
Yeah, and that'll be your stuff. expressed I want you. in 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 specific ways that they are to worship him. And um, you know, in those in that six chapters, he gives the the idea of of. But also, there's a profound thing you just said. Our stuff is not your stuff is not you, right? Like, and right. that's interesting because like your stuff is not you. God right. wants you, not your stuff. Right, and and the whole time, um, you know, he's up there. He's telling them how to create a um, an an apparatus for how they can see his presence. You know, he's telling them the tabernacle. You know, that's I mean, you know, the idea he's he's he brings Moses up there not to give him more list of rules, which he will do, um, but he's telling him, you know, here's the here's how you are going to experience who I am. You know, I'm going to dwell in the, I'm mean, here's how to construct this tabernacle. So you can know that I dwell in the midst of you. Here's how, um, here's how to, to construct this, this, uh, this table for this bread. So you can be reminded that I'm the one who fed you in the desert, you know, um, this lampstand that I'm the one who the, the, that fire, fiery pillar that, that held Egypt at bay when they were coming for you, you know? Yeah. It's almost like he's saying the devil's in the details, but also I'm in the details. <laughs> right. You know, and, <laughs> you know and, it's not like, and you don't and the, get in the details. Like, yeah, exactly. Let's go on to second Peter one 16 through 21. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's interesting because this is probably one of the later books written in the New Testament. Right. Uh, and it's interesting because we're, you know, obviously if he's saying that, like somebody's saying they had, they developed cleverly devised myths or, you know, whatever, or Rachel right. they do, 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 you know, it's a liberal. They were just come coming up with cleverly devised myths. I mean, like somebody is, is antagonistic and right. saying right. this is cleverly devised myths. And he's saying, no, we actually, we were being true to what we saw, what we believed and we still believe. Yeah. And this is, uh, um, you know, I, I do, I talk with students all the time of, of, um, I'll, I'll, read scripture with them or something. And they'll always ask me like, why like, do you really believe this? And, and, you know, my response is uh, most of the time, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. Why, I mean, <laughs> why, why wouldn't I? Jared um, Jones, everybody. Jared yeah, yeah, Jones, everybody. No. Uh, but you know, that in their mind, they're just seeing um, this kind of floating down from heaven book. And that we're supposed to, you know, um, it, it came out of nowhere and it just exists. And um, some guy went in a cave and heard some things and kind of came back out and said, Hey, here's, here's the new rules. Um, but these are, these are, this is like an ancient letter from somebody who said, I, I saw this, you know, and there was a couple other people there too, that could say, we saw this. Um, so these are not um, like he's saying, these are not cleverly devised myths. Um these are actually eyewitness accounts of, of things that actually took place in space and time. And, and, and the author says, you will be, you will, you will do well to be attentive to this is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I mean, this is like cling to these stories and to the testimony that God like has put in the Holy scripture. I mean, it's, it, you know, 
you would do you could do a lot worse than just read the bible and dialogue with it and trust it and engage with it and dialogue with it and like make this kind of the you know replace this with your horoscope or your enneagram and just dialogue with this book yeah and and the idea that um not that uh, not that not that the enneagram not that the Enneagram is unbiblical, because it's it is the it is the the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Right, right. It's the additional. Uh, you know, we needed Jesus until we had the Enneagram. No, it's not. It's like the Book of Mormon. We have it. We have it. Another Testament. Right, right. <laughs> Which I think Revelation specifically, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't like that. But um, you know, and I don't know. If, to me, there is this beautiful connection of um, of the 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 fire on the mountain. Um, becoming not uh, slowly turning from um, not a fire of judgment and fear, but as um, Peter says, a lamp shining in a dark place. That that when that that law that's in on Mount Sinai, that when this um, the ultimate mediator comes, then our approach to that that light that fire changes from something that is threatening to consume us to something that is um, providing us hope. Yeah. I mean, this is what fire does or light. And, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing when you're going to physics class and they say, well, light is, I, uh, you know, or everything is a particle or a wave. Right. Right. And, th- and then you learn about light and that's a wave And like these things in God are united and undivided. And scientists still haven't figured it out. So therefore God is real. Amen. On to the gospel, Matthew 17, 1 through 9, transfiguration. It's a big deal. So basically, Jesus takes his homies, his uh, his James, Peter, and John, up to the mountain. and, and, it, ha- and ha- Yeah, and it happens at the same time, after six days. Um, yeah. That after six days, Jesus took with him. So on the seventh day, um, you know, Jesus takes, again, it's, it's not Peter and James and John saying, hey, let's go up this mountain. God called Moses out on the seventh day. God called Moses up, um, and on the seventh day, Jesus brings um, brings them with him. Um, and, and I think there's a beauty of now that one of the differences that's happening is now, rather than just Israel standing at the base of the mountain watching their mediator go up, um, that the mediator is now bringing Israel up with him. You know, at least part. You know, in in some way. The only person missing here is J-Lo. The only what? Person missing is J-Lo. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If we were um, making a musical, it, we would get J-Lo. But no, yeah, I absolutely think like this is, you know, it's fulfillment of the unconditional covenant when God calls Abraham his friend. And after, you know, it, 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 in the kind of giving of the law, the friendship goes away. I mean, it's not, it never goes away, but like, now we're reinitiating friendship, like, and right. this is a place where God is drawing near with no less like fear or mystery or like who the hell knows what's going on. But Jesus is saying, "Hey, let's. I'm bringing you into the places where you know the people that were with Moses couldn't go, and they still screwed up. Let's build right. a tent." <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, I mean, one of my favorite moments is Peter saying, um, "And this is such a classic." You know, Peter. I don't know what Peter's enneagram would be, but uh, he would be such a, 
I don't know, but three maybe. Nah, he would be a four number, disintegrated eight. Disintegrated eight, maybe, but that's not a real thing. But he, um, you know, Peter is seeing these amazing things take place, and and Peter's, um, you know, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Um, and uh, which I also wonder if that influenced John's vision later of of when John writes revelation and he sees that one, like the son of man, if he's like, I've actually, I've seen this before. Um, but, um, and behold, uh, there appeared to him, Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. Um, I just love that, uh, in the midst of that moment, Peter thought this would be a good time for me to remind him that I'm here to, you know, that, uh, it's a good thing that I'm here. Yeah, I know. That's the place when God shows up, you don't take it for granted. <laughs> right. Um, but I love that, um, you know, so, and so here in this gospel reading, we have the tendency, which is to put Christ in the same continuum as the law. Um, you know, that you had Moses, Elijah, you know, which represents kind of the two major components of, of the Old Testament narrative, the, the law and the prophets. Um and and to put Christ there as well, the law, the prophets, and Christ. Let's build three tents where you can all dwell on this mountain. Um, instead of seeing that the law and the prophets were all about and pointing to and find their telos or their end in Christ. Um, and so he says, let's build three tents, and then when everything ends, it says, uh, it says, um, and then when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so. The idea is not to continue with this, you know, the idea was that all of this in the old covenant was pointing towards this one, whom God says, this is my son. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think the thing is that, like, we're always tempted to, like, absolutize where Jesus is, right? Like, in the new, like, he's always on the cross, he's always risen. And so there are these moments where we think, like, oh, my gosh, we should stay here. Or, oh, my gosh, we should go there. Right. And, you know, if Christ is there, you can go or you can stay. But if Christ is not there, I mean, gosh, what the hell is going on? And and this is the thing. It's it's hard, like, to see where Jesus is. And you can just say, hey, I pray that you are here. Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, one of the things I love about this passage is when, uh, the, when we're, as we're talking about Jesus being there, um, you know, the difference here is that um, God, when when God comes down the mountain off Sinai, it's in judgment and, yeah. the, and the mediator stops the judgment. You know, God, what would it, what would it do you to, to wipe them out now that you've saved them? And, uh, and in this, the, God is not, um, God is not acting in judgment at all. He's, he's because Christ is there, you know, and, and wherever Christ is, the judgment can't. And, and so he's simply saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the mediator um, who is receiving this love of the father is then he turns to, um, they have the same reaction as Israel. They fall down on their faces in fear. Um, and that's in, I guess, uh, Exodus 20 or 21. But um, but they have that that reaction and Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Um, and just this idea that, that they are, uh, because they're in the presence of the mediator, um, they have nothing to fear. Yeah, and the mediator is prophet, like in the sense of like, I think in the Reformed tradition, we say prophet, priest, and king. I think it's right. actually opposite. 
redemptive history. Priest is the easiest thing. Don't do this, do this. And then you get like kingship and like, what do you do with two uh, women? We'll cut the baby in half and that's kingship. But <laughs> prophet is like, hey, come down off the mountain with me. You're going to be friends of me. You're, I'm going to invite you into the mysteries of how I'm healing creation right. in a way it didn't know how to be healed. And and hey, you guys are going to do this with me, guys and right. gals even. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the, the last thing I would say about this, the, the amazing thing is this mountain, when he descends, he tells them, don't say anything about this. Yeah. Um, and every other religious scheme in the world, if we were cleverly devising myths about this, you know, um, this would be the moment, you know, that he's revealed who he is in his glory. Um, this is the moment for, for, to say, okay, you guys saw this, go tell everyone. Um, but the beauty of Christianity is that the real mountain that Jesus is told, tells his people, his, his apostles and his church to proclaim, um, is Golgotha, is, is Calvary, um, to, to say, where my glory and in John, it always is saying this, the son of man is not ready to be revealed. The son of man, it's not the time for the son of man to be revealed that he's saying that glory, I have it. You know, it's, it's not that it's, it doesn't exist. I have it, but my real glory, the, the ultimate, the apex or the, the culmination of my glory will be in the cross, will be in suffering and shame and nakedness and hunger and thirst and abandonment. Um, that that's where my glory will shine forth. Um, and I think there's, and, and that after that mountain, he says, go into all the world baptizing, you know, go now, go and tell, you know, uh, amen to that. And I hope that everyone hears that, um, or preaches that on the Lord's day. Thanks for doing this. My friend, when I was no post move, you're, you're a gentleman and a scholar and thanks. Congrats on your new gig, Scott. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Jared for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you for listening to Synaxis this week. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.